0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem's show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real-life scenarios with real live people.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's show with Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. And uh, tonight is Shear 121. we are doing this for a long time. I just uh, looked up with Rabbi Cohen right before the Shear. Rabbi Cohen was on the Shear about two and a half years ago in July. So uh, it's just to have Roshul back with us. Thank you for coming again. And again, I start off every week first. Uh, thanking all the people that come on every week. And they, they, they advertise it on their WhatsApp status. So they email it around to their friends. And it's a tremendous chizik for everybody. And again, like I said, every week, if, if the topic is not relevant to you, <clears throat> we'll know about it. It's a tremendous physic uh, for all the people that are involved. One second. Okay, and if anybody wants to join our WhatsApp status every Sunday, I can send you the flyer so you could post it and send it around. You can WhatsApp me at 848 525 0066. Again, the number is 848 525 0066. You can go to monachambarrenfall.com and you can sign up to get his weekly email that has the flyers every week and the replay. i sure tonight the replay will be put up few hours after the share, middle of the night, and then you get a ding. If everybody's going to watch us later on YouTube, you can click on the subscribe button. So every every week when Menachem puts up a Shiurim and he has a Wednesday night program, it goes up, you, you get automatically dinged and you need to get notified about it. Also, you can click on the like button. So um, we appreciate that. I want to right, first, also start off all the advertising sponsors for promoting us on all the digital platforms. First, over here in Lakewood, the Lakewood Scoop for promoting us in Lakewood, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central for always promoting us in the Five Towns area. Special thank you to Khaila Kaplan and Shmuel Summer from JCN for promoting us on all the digital platforms. We really appreciate it. Again, friendly here the first time. We've been doing this already for a long time. Every Sunday night at 9:30 p.m. We have different sheer on different topics. And next week, November 13th. I don't know who's coming on yet. It's a few people, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of the lineup who's coming on. As of now, November 20th, we're Moshirapwork from Tom's River. November 27th, Manakimous, November 27th, Oshir from Redis Israel. What's his name? Center. Centers coming on the Chem and then the uh, Meshul Mepsin will be December 4th. So we have a big lineup, tremendous topics coming up. So please join us every week. And Hashem, as soon as we confirm this uh, November 13th, we'll let you know and we'll send it out via text and email and everything. So please uh, stay. It's, it's always going to be a powerful program. So please join us next week as well. Again, tonight we have this honor of having the with us from, from Zirconai from ZA. He's also created priority one of Shia Khan tonight with a very important topic that we all need constant chizik and reminders and remachaz again. So, uh, thank you again for coming on to Shem for all the people that are here tonight, all the hundreds of people in the midstream, the thousands of people that listen to it. to be a big, big chizik again. Uh, let's start off with the coach Menachem Berenfeld to open it up. What are we talking about, Menachem? What are we doing here tonight? Open thank it up,
0: thank you, thank you very much. Welcome everyone to another Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem and Bok We're Tonight's number one twenty-one with a lot of Siyata and, and then like I always like to thank all of you who send your feedback from last week's program, and I'm still getting from the week before, and we're constantly getting from all, um, all the programs. Everybody gets to see it when it works for them, but just to send me an email with any comments, positive, negative thoughts, questions, always um, good to see um, the way people take. The, the share and um, the topic of function we've had a, we've had a lot of programs and it's it's not a, not an easy one but you know we have some people who want to know the, just how to start marry just got married and would love to know the tips the steps how to start with the young kids so that they can avoid um many things that they hear and not experienced. And then there are others who have gone through many years and with you kind know, of a lot of their kids and different experiences trying to understand how to connect why things happening, why can't one kid be like the other? And uh, it, it, it is a challenge. And um, they sometimes push us to the wall. Sometimes we learn about ourselves from our kids. You know, we would love to be in a regular routine, uh, whether it's work, to learn. And the kids should go to school, do everything they need to do. But what happens sometimes, they they force us to stop and try to figure out what they need. Why is it difficult for me to connect with them? And uh, sometimes it's easier than others, and everybody has their experience. So we've he- we've heard in the past, you know, Shalom Bias, could affect you know, if they don't, if the kids don't feel secure, they don't feel they have a, a place where they can just um uh, connect, you know, the parents don't have the same same view. So that could be a problem. Um we've heard about how becoming self-aware of how are you of your kids, what's the reaction that we have? Many have a reaction and we don't realize that it's just the way, you know, we need some healing the way we grew up and it's just coming up with our kids. So many people have that question. If, if all of these things have a, have an effect on hinab, so where am I going? You know, my spouse, you know, maybe I understand, but they don't, or, you know, we don't always get along. So it, it could be tough. And I just want to mention, we do live in a world, in the world of information. There's a lot of information out there there are different approaches and kind of this classes, courses, books, Baruch Hashem, nothing to talk about Russian things have changed and we're learning a lot. But the, the real answer is to be able to connect, to, to understand not so much the information, it's how to apply, how to apply the information and see which child needs what, why does it bother me that much? what's behind it and it does take time it takes it, we do have to slow down and we just can't continue with the fast-paced routine when this happens so yeah they do push <clears> us <throat> through the wall and put us to work the box we have is supposed to have with us tonight Rabbi Kohn, which you're talking about many 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 years one of the one of the first in this line and we're here to ask him you know some experience for those who are starting the journey, just would love to know what to avoid, how to start. And for those who have many questions, trying to figure things out, and with, with this experience, maybe you can help us a little bit. We should have a lot of siyata de which we all need, especially in this topic. And Hashem should help. We should be able to take out what we need to hear. So we should be able to apply it amidst Hashem. Go ahead,
1: beautiful opening. So again, we're here tonight with Rebecca. Kohn. The topic is re- rev- revolutionizing our children's clinical experience, how to successfully prepare our children for life. So that's the topic. And Rebecca, Kohn, I'll read the short bio that I have of you, but uh, we'll get into it. Rebecca Kohn will open up. Rashai Rabbi- Kohn is the founder of Priority One. It was opened in 1987 to help at-risk teenagers and their parents and families. Using his experience for over four decades in the Jewish education, Rabbi Kohn has developed a keen ability to identify and deal with issues that children face in our education system. He has the unique ability to give over to others the ideas and the tools necessary to prevent these issues in the future. Rikon has been to Rosh Hashiva of the and Ari and Koel Yeshua for the past 20. And it says 20. It's probably more than that, Rabbi Kohn, right? It's
2: 30, but who's, but who's counting?
1: Who's counting? Once you're already past that, you know, and like who's counting already? And um, Rikon, it's just to have you back here. Please open it up for the island There's a lot of questions that came in, and I'm not sure not everybody should ask live. The floor is yours.
2: Okay, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation and the privilege to be here this evening and to share some ideas and hopefully to be somewhat helpful to, uh, to parents who are concerned and, and, and very dedicated and committed, lovingly committed to the chinuch of their children. Uh, in, in broad terms, um, you know, on the one hand, we're doing quite well. I don't think that 60, 70 years ago, anyone would have imagined that we should have such an enormous uh, uh, system of chinuch, network of chinuch, of yeshivas, of day schools, of high schools, of mesivites, of yeshivas gedolos, of koilelim, of learning programs. It's amazing what's going on. And the level of, of observance, of commitment to Yiddishkeit is certainly far greater than uh, in recent modern American history, that having been said, uh, there are fel- there are problems, there are challenges, there are many challenges, and individual parents face these challenges. Uh, Moistus, yeshivas, schools of all sorts also face challenges because the world is very challenging today, and the challenges of Yiddishkeit are as old as the Torah itself, you know, we were created with the and there's constantly that battle. So we're facing an age-old problem, which certainly has been exacerbated by all of the difficulties and and, and challenges and temptations and, and, and I would say uh, insanity that surrounds us in the world today. So this is the world we face. Um, unfortunately, many of our finest are apathetic about the yiddishkeit or maybe even drifting from yiddishkeit and many have drifted and uh, that drift we don't have any way of predicting well we might be able to predict but um it's it's certainly a serious phenomenon and we would like to do everything that we can as parents and as for that matter to number one to strengthen the chinook that we're giving our children to make sure that they're not apathetic Rather, they're passionate about the Yiddishkeit. That they're so passionate and understanding, and that it's so meaningful and precious and sense of privilege to them that they want to stay with it for the rest of their lives, and they're committed to it with a deep-rooted sense of commitment—not just habitual and uh, what we call melumada, just happening to um, uh, you know to, to keep to it in a very um, a very methodical way, not necessarily with the feeling of the commitment. So this is what we're looking for. So I guess I would suggest that there are a couple of very basic principles in Chinuch, which we should keep in mind, and then I'd be happy to attempt, B'Siatu D'Shomai, I hope I'll be able to help somewhat to try to uh, answer some of the questions at least. Uh, First of all, the first thing we have to look at Chinuch, actually Rashi, in this week's parsha tells us on the Pozik V'ayorich Eschanichov, that Chinuch is a long-term process. He says, we have to look at the long-term. If you're according to his own way, when he gets older, he will not forsake it. He will not go away. But the goal of Chinuch is long-term, which means that we often have to compromise or look the other way on short-term problems if it's going to detract from the long-term goal. And we sometimes have to do things which are gonna help to bring the long-term goal, even though in the short-term, they don't seem to make too much sense to us. So that's point number one, we have to think long-term. Unfortunately, sometimes as parents, uh, we think short minute because the problem is now. I'm upset now. The kid is misbehaving now. Something is happening right now. And I must do something about it. Not necessarily. Because if what I'm going to do about it is going to be short-term effective and long-term detrimental, that's not chinuch. That's not what I want to do. That I would say is point number one. Point number two. I think everybody knows that parents love their children. It's natural. It's inborn. It's genetic. I think we all know that that love is critical for giving over a message, a way of life, a masura, a direction, an inspiration. Without that love, there's no, there's no conduit, there's no etzinor, there's no pipeline to be able to give it over. But I think as parents, we have to realize that some, on some level, our love is not as powerful as it might be because our children know That we're pre-programmed, you know. Oh, my 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 grandmother loves me. What else is Like that's to be expected. So there's another ingredient that's very important to chinuch, and that is respect for our children. Now, many people when they hear that they look askance. They say, "What are you talking about?" You know, but you know something, that's critical. The Rambam says in um, in Hilchus Talmud Torah, just like the Rav, he's talking about a Rebbe in a Talmud, is mechuyev to be mechabed his Talmud, so, uh, uh, the, 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 the Talmud is mechuyiv the Rav, kach Rav He must be, respect his Talmud and be mecharev and draw him close. And I say the same thing applies to parents. And I'd like to try to explain why because really happiness is what everybody wants. Everybody wants to be happy. If you make me happy, you're the most important influence in my life. The definition of happiness is the highest level, I believe is Osher. The Shoresh of Osher, Alev Shin Resh, refers to ishur validation. Happiness is about feeling good about yourself. If our, if our children feel good about themselves, they're happy. If we make them feel good about themselves, we're making them happy. We become the most influential, Force and factor in their lives. Now, love makes us feel good about ourselves because, oh, why does someone love Because I have qualities. Parental love is a little bit shorter on that because my mother may love me, my father may love me because they're programmed, their kid, what can they do? They have no choice. Especially in a world, and I've heard it unfortunately too often, where a parent can say, oh, I certainly love my child, I just don't like him. What they're really saying is they don't like the behavior. But you know something, that's, that's, that's terrible because the love has to be total and unconditional. And But since it's parental, it's a little bit not as powerful. Respect from a parent, why should a parent respect me? Why should a parent respect my time? Why should a parent respect my space? Why should a parent respect my room, respect my time? You must take a bath right now. Oh, maybe would you like to do it now? Would you like to do it in 10 minutes from now? You must clean up right now. you could either do it now or you could do it five minutes later. The the fact that they respect me, my time, my space, my feelings, um, my ideas, my opinion, it does so much to validate and the parent becomes so influential in the life of the child. I know many people don't like this attitude. They don't like this idea, but it's so important. And it gives such a sense of happiness and security to the children that it's really a critical ingredient in chinofu. There are many other critical ingredients in chinuch. One is modeling. We must model the behavior and the feelings, the emotions, and the passions that we want our children to have. If they don't see passion for Yiddishkeit in us, then they're not going to be able to get that message unless it happens that they get it from the outside. If they don't see integrity in our actions, honesty, kindness, sensitivity, all of the milas and all of the midas that we want them to have, then we're, we're depriving them of the most powerful model that can really teach them and show them how to act. And all too often, we find ourselves sometimes in compromising situations. And if a child feels for a moment that a parent is being disingenuous or hypocritical Chalila, that destroys the respect, that destroys the relationship, and and it's devastating. So modeling also the behaviors that we want is very, very important. Um, I think even as parents, not only as Machamchim, we have to be open to questions and answer questions. Certain questions we must know the answer to. They're basic, and if we don't know the answer to, then they feel something's wrong. Other questions we don't have to know the answer to, but we have to, it's a good question, it's a serious question, I will look into it, we'll ask someone, we'll research, we'll do something, take it seriously, that shows respect and that shows confidence in what you believe, that you're willing to entertain questions and to be able to to deal with them so they also get the answers that they need. Far too many kids have been left just hanging with too many questions gnawing away at them, and at some point when push comes to shove, and uh, things are not going so well, some trauma, some tragedy, some challenge, some some very powerful outside influences which exist all the time, and they cave in because anyway they have a very uh, soft, a very weak basis for the basics of Yahadu. So I think that's also um, also very, very, very important. Um, I think that um, when we deal with our children, we have to learn the art of negotiation. Now, this also um, rubs some parents the wrong way, but unfortunately today, um, we, we don't have the upper hand. When parents tell me, I feel I'm losing control over my child, I laugh. I don't laugh, I hold myself up laughing, but I think to myself, when did you ever have control over the child? Who has control over the child? You know, today, there's a very simple formula that children have. I'm going off the derrick Do me something. You know, what are you going to do? Uh, you, uh, you can't. You can't force. So we have to learn the art of negotiation. When they want something and we feel it's not appropriate, have to sit down and talk about it. And the first and most important thing that a parent can do in a conversation, in fact, the three most important things that a parent can do in a conversation is listen, listen, and listen again. Listen to them. Hear them out. Understand where they're coming from. Show that you take their position and their feelings and their attitudes and their needs seriously. Then you will be in a position through love and respect to negotiate. Sometimes we need compromise. You know, we're not talking about your little kids. There's not that much room for compromise. They do know sometimes, but certainly as they get older, we can't expect that they're going to do everything that we tell them to do just because we told them to do it. And that leads us to another point, And that is the point of explain why we do things. You know, there's no such thing as Ixeris Hakosu We don't necessarily know the reason why Hashem said so. Every every rule that we make has to be rational. And we have to explain to them the rationality of rules. Now, I know there are some that will say, well, if you get in the mode of explaining to your kid, then they'll say, okay, I disagree with the explanation. And then they're off. But if you don't explain to them, they're going to say it even faster and more furiously because you're forcing them to do something that doesn't make any sense. So we have to make sure that what we ask of them makes sense. And then we have to be sure that we explain to them. If they understand the Sefer HaChino wrote a whole book as a gift for his bar mitzvah. And he has one mitzvah there he's afraid he doesn't know the the reason for. And he's afraid if he doesn't write that one, the kids might go off the derech altogether. So he says in, 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 in Parashas Vayikra, the Mitzvah of not bringing soar and bashan on the bear. Take a look. And what do you mean? He says, because even though he wrote on all the other Mitzvahs, but there's one thing that doesn't make sense. The Torah is like a safer, chos, a safer chosum. it's like a, a hidden thing and they could be in danger. They must understand the reasons and they must understand benefits, benefits. Because we live in a world that every everybody Want something for himself. And the benefits are critical. We just learned in this parasha yesterday, the Raul Bag says that before Hashem told Avram Avinu that there's going to be a bris, that he has to use a knife, he told him first the benefits of entering a covenant before he tells him about the knife. And only then did he tell him? And he says, we learn from there, that you have to first give the benefits. And the benefits, the for the benefits will mitigate the pain. Otherwise, it could affect on some level, even in Avraham Avinu. So these are some of the things I think that we have to, uh, we have to keep in mind in our our Chinuch. And um, also, I would say, a lot depends on relationship with our children. Uh, No, we have to be parents and not just friends, but we have to also be friends. When a person can feel that his parents are his parents, his guides. They guide him in terms of what to do, but we also have a close friendship. We get together, we, we enjoy each other's company. We wanna share things. We have open minds, we have open conversation, we have an open channel of communication. It creates a type of a relationship that no child is gonna to want to violate, that no child is gonna to wanna to give up on. In fact, you know, we know that in times of old, when families were much closer, Then if somebody was going to marry out, then the approach would be avelus and Shiva and Kriya and all of that. And today, it seems from the place that that's not what should be done, because then they had such a strong family relationship that that could make the difference. Today, relationships are most fun, not so strong. We have to strengthen them because that's the core of the hashpah, of the influence that we have on our on our children and therefore that's also extremely 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 important. We should learn with our children. Now many children when you learn with them they think oh my father my mother just testing me. No maybe they should learn something not that they're learning in school but just that they're sharing ideas in Torah and that creates a very positive environment. Uh, We have to realize that we can't put too much burden or pressure on them because pressure Pressure is the number one killer in the world, stress and pressure. And when we put too much pressure on our children, then pressure um, evokes resistance. And that isn't a very healthy thing. And then I would add to that um, one more thing. We have to be so careful about building them up, making them feel good about themselves, not criticizing, not putting them down. This is my child. This is my flesh and blood. This is my Kaddishal. I'm so distraught if they're not acting properly. But we have to be careful that we do not put them down. Ruve, uh, Yaakov Avino on his deathbed apologizes to Ruvain for not reprimanding him when he had the maisu with Billah until he was on his deathbed because he's afraid, he says, "He'll you would leave me to join Esau's yeshiva. Yaakov, who know how to be Machir in such a gentle way, was afraid that Ruben the Tzaddik, who had already done Shuvah for his mistake, would leave him to do what? To join up with Esav of Arosha. That's the power, the fear, the power, that, that reprimand. We have to be so careful. Parents are so prone to criticism because I love you. I care about you. I see what you're doing wrong. But the criticism is devastating. Build up, don't knock down. And if you do have to point something out, point out how the act is inappropriate. Never the person was inappropriate for acting that way. These are some ideas I think that could be helpful uh, in general in Chinuch, but of course it's much more uh, nuanced and much more extensive than anything that can be said in a short period of
1: time. Okay, for that beautiful opening. We have a lot of questions, which we'll try to get to uh, tonight. Anybody's here can text usher Parnas on uh, chat and we'll put the clean. Obviously, live questions go first. Let's try to do that. We have Rabbi Kohn here. He wants to answer the questions. He wants to feel comfortable, really get into it. So feel comfortable asking. And um, let's take a poll now, Rabbi Kohn, for a minute. We'll ask the alum, and then we'll uh, jump into some questions, okay?
2: Okay, whatever you say.
1: Okay. Two question poll over here. Two questions. Answer. How do you feel appropriate for yourself? You answer the questions. What is your general plan in chinaf? Four options. Like, what's your, what's your how do you do chinaf? How do you raise your children? Number one, whatever my parents did, that is what I do. You know, what I was taught, the way I was do, that's what I do with my kids. What, what I, It's not explaining what it is, but it's just whatever it is, that's what I do. Number two, I give them the freedom, and they should learn on their own. Let them, you know, learn on their own. Whatever is good, is good. Option three, I remind them what is right and what is wrong, and keep them on track. Uh, option number four, I don't have a plan. I'm just trying to figure something out. The second question, Rabbi Klon, what is the main reason that kids are not turned on to Yiddish Again, this is in your opinion. Four options. Number one, a lack of knowledge and meaning in Yiddish, okay? Number two, too many distractions and temptations in the world. Number three, trauma from outside factors. Or number four, lack of excitement from the parents those are the two questions everybody should answer that and then we'll have a call after everybody answers we'll uh we'll do a chazar on some of the questions get your uh, insight on it and then we'll jump into questions okay okay let's give it to 30 seconds nachem what are you choosing which happens?? <laughs> okay we're going to end the poll now, and then we're going to share with everybody. Okay, here we go. Okay, what is the general, what is your general plan? Rabbi Kohn, only 3% say they do whatever their parents did. Only 5% said, give them the freedom and they should learn on their own. Majority of people, 70% of people say, I remind them what is right and what is wrong to keep them on track. And 22% of people say, I don't have a plan, I'm just trying to figure something out the
2: conny velik sound this on this poll okay uh, what you'd like my comment well what are you looking for <laughs>
1: what's what's your thought on it
2: okay well i think the um uh, the, the of course the one that i remind them and uh, what's right and wrong keep them on track is definitely on track however i don't think it's that simple uh reminding is not necessarily enough and reminding can be annoying as well I think the first thing is to make sure they know what's right and what's wrong, to make sure they understand why it's right and why it's wrong, to make sure they have a, a sense of the context of where it comes from, that this is not just something that somebody made up arbitrarily. But we have a, a who created the world and who gave us the at Har Sinai, and gave us directives in his Territ and in his Territ about how to conduct our lives. And so, and they have a sense of that it's all for our benefit. It's all because Hashem wants to reward us and do Chesed. It's all the mitzvahs are to improve us and to refine our character. And they have to have more than just a sense of what's right and wrong, but to know why and why it benefits them and what it's so important. And then, how do you keep them on track? That's also not so simple. And the way to keep them on track, or hopefully to try to keep them on track, is many of the things that I mentioned before by proper modeling, by learning with them, by constantly speaking with them, by listening to what they have to say, by hearing their problems and addressing them rather than just letting them fester or uh, or shoving them under the carpet. And it's a whole avoid to keep them on track. And I think that that needs a lot of focus and a lot of, um, I would say parental training or parents have to be guided into you know, how to do that, uh, it's a whole avuidah, it's a whole But I definitely think that's the right approach, but it just has to be expanded upon a lot more.
1: Now the second question, what's the main reason that kids are not turned on to So You have a very big split over here across the board. You see over here, the lack of knowledge and meaning, 30%, 27%, too many distractions and temptations, 90% traumas from the outside factors, 24% the lack of excitement from the parents. Seems like it's a... So it's all four answers. Everybody's basically it's a, it's an even split. What's your opinion on what? Yeah, the- well, uh, th- there's no main reason. Right. That, that
2: the, the, the answer really is there is no main reason. And I think that's what the, uh, the split shows that there are many reasons. Um, and, and all of those are reasons and there's probably a lot more. I would caution a few things though. There's a tendency to want to blame the outside influences. And I find that to be very dangerous. I find the outside influences to be tremendously dangerous. But I found the tendency to blame the outside influences is also dangerous because we sort of let up on our chinuch and we say, well, you know, it's the outside influences. Let's just get rid of the outside influences and everything gonna be fine. First of all, practically speaking, it's very hard to get rid of the outside influences because even if we're successful, our neighbors are not successful, our friends are not successful, their friends are not successful. And the world out there is infiltrating even if we um, filter, even if we destroy the devices that we have. So it's very hard. Secondly, the goal is to create a matzav where they want to cooperate with us in keeping away those influences. Let me tell you a little story, which I have no idea whether it ever happened, but I think it brings home a point. They tell the story of Yerushalmi Jew walking along the street in Haifa, and opposite him was a chiloni, was a secular Jew, a non-religious Jew, walking in the opposite direction. And as they're about to cross each other's path, they pass a storefront, which has extremely inappropriate demonstrations there. And the Rishalmi, in the quickest moment, uh, movement, puts his hand over his eyes. And the chiloni is so impressed, he walks up to him and says, tell me, what is it in your life that's so meaningful, that's so fulfilling, That you won't chance to compromise it for a moment of something that everybody else enjoys. And that, I think, is the key. We need our children to be allies in keeping out the negative influences. If they're passionate about the Yiddishkeit, if they understand where it's coming from, if they recognize the benefit of a life of Yiddishkeit, if they've seen the passion and the excitement that we have. And if they realize how it's going to make their quality of life better, how it's going to make them happy. And if our relationship with them is deep and and, and, and warm and caring and loving and respectful and, and, and tight. And if we listen, listen, listen to the issues and try to help deal with them, then I think we're going to develop in them such a deep sense of appreciation of Yiddishkeit that the outside influences will still be there and could still be devastating, but they will certainly work to keep them out as much as possible. They will, they will, they will not want devices or they will make sure that the devices are properly filtered all day. They'll, they'll do everything they can to keep that influence out because they don't wanna compromise um, that excitement that they have. So I think that's a very, uh, a very critical point in this, in this whole discussion. And um, I think there's one more thing that's also very, very important. Uh, most people that go off the derech lack a relationship with Hashem. Now, many people say, "I never heard about relationship with Hashem." Vi'esmidos? What is that? How do you eat it? What do you? What do you talk about relationship with Hashem? But that is a critical, critical factor. I'll never forget. Many years ago, I gave a session for a group of. Uh, men and women who were leaving Eretz Royal to go to Budapest to start the first day school for 40 years there hadn't been a day school in Budapest and they went to start this day school and uh, I, I gave a, a session for them before when I came in the previous speaker was speaking he says make sure don't mention Hashem because Hashem has been absent from Budapest in the last 40 years and when my turn came I said I must disagree not only should you mention Hashem should talk to them about having a relationship with Hashem. And someone asked me, said, what are you going to do if they laugh at you? And I said, you know, I've been talking about relationship with Hashem to non-religious audiences for decades. No one ever laughed. To the contrary, they're jealous. Everybody wants a relationship with the boss. Everybody wants a relationship with the creator. Everyone wants a relationship with the controller, with the master. And interestingly enough, at the end of the first week, the, the one who was the president of the whole thing, he didn't know about my conversation with his teachers, he called me and said, you know, a very cute thing happened the first day of school, there was a six-year-old girl, and she came home, she said, Mommy, Daddy, guess what, there's a God in the world, and the family rejoiced. So that relationship is critical, critical. In fact, when the Goy came to Hillel and asked him to teach him the whole Torah according to the first Pratan Rashi, he said, he said, he said, that which is hateful, you don't do it to your friend. That's the whole term, the rest explanation, I'll go and learn. Rashi says in the first pshat that Chavroch refers to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. al The essence of kolat HaTerakula is not to breach the relationship with Hashem. So I think these are some of the things that can really help to avoid that. And when these things are lacking, sometimes one, sometimes another, yes, sometimes it is trauma, yes, sometimes it is tragedy, but even trauma and tragedy, when there's a Baseline, when there's a foundation of a connection and appreciation and a loving relationship with Hashem, then they even have more strength to face tragedy and trauma and challenges. So, some ideas about that. Very Beautiful. Okay,
1: we're going to start with a live question. Okay, Okay. Hey, you're on.
3: Okay, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Coach Menachem and um, everybody else because it's such an easy, great date night that's always, um, you know, on every Sunday night. It's informative, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, Rabbi Cohn, um, this question for you. It's it's really about um, my kids because obviously they're are Amuna. I think is still more developing, but I think also for the adults in my house, it's it's a good question. Um, I actually read your priority one reader on Bitaron and we were very moved and we, as a family, because of whatever was going on, we got very, we started really learning bitachon and we, we talk a lot about it. And it's already for like two years. We keep a notebook. We write down, you know, all the times where we, we had bitachon. We chose not to worry. We saw the Yad Hashem. We saw everything worked out. We saw the Hashkacha protest and we talk to our kids and we talk to them about it. And they hear us saying, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to have bitachon. Everything's going to work out. We share with them when it does, right? Piggybacking off of what you just said, it's, it's building a beautiful relationship with Hashem. You're never alone. Hashem is always there. You don't have to worry. You'll see things are going to work out. And I'm a little bit worried because um, you know, when you have real be tough things work out. But my kids, you know, not necessarily are they able to, understand like i tell them well you have to hope that hashem is going to help you and you have to really believe that he's going to help you and sometimes like you know silly things like they'll laugh after my husband comes home with slurpees from them they'll say ha ma remember we asked you for slurpees? you said no we were having me talk you see or they'll say i really really want you know pizza and i'm like uh, my husband will say okay so happy talking because you know we're not getting you pizza and you know two minutes later my brother in law will knock at the door as a surprise visit with pizza like things that you know they said ha, look what happened And I'm worried what's going to happen when my kids tell me I was having bitachon for this and it it didn't come true. You know, Hashem didn't come through for me. And do they have the maturity to understand, you know, or or what am I telling them that they should understand that the bitachon wasn't real, that you can only have bitachon for your needs. And if, you know, it didn't happen, then it's obviously what you need. I'm curious what the response should be. I know like as adults, like we say, well, you know, maybe your bitachon wasn't complete. I'm curious, like is bitachon something you should be, Teaching children, stressing children, um, and how do you safeguard their munapshuta, pshuta, their just a muna in Hashem, you know, that he's there, if they're kind of like playing around with bitochum, if that makes sense.
2: Wow, it makes a lot of sense. It certainly shows you're really deeply involved in the sugya of bitochum, and uh, wow, it's just a pleasure listening. So I'll tell you what I think. You see, there's a mistake that some people make about bitochum. The best posa and the best, but a posa that clearly tells us how Bitochah works is David Amalek in Kapitel Yud Gimel in Tehillim, where he says, I trusted in your chesed. And therefore, in the Vilna explains, explains, I know my heart will rejoice in the Yeshua, in the salvation, which means I don't trust that Hashem's going to help me. I trust his chesed. I know everything he does is chesed. I know the love that he has. I know the rachamim that he has. And therefore, that leads me to feel that he's not going to let me down. However, if he does not deliver, according to my heart's desire, if I trusted his chesed, then I know that that's a greater chesed. He has something bigger and better in store for me. He knows that if he grants me the thing that I want now, it's going to be, a, 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 a bad thing. It's not going to work the way I want. It's going to, in business, people sometimes, I want this deal. It's the most important deal of my life. And I'm going to have talking. The deal's going to go through. And the deal this go through. It'll lead them into bankruptcy. But if you wait a little bit, Hashem has something better in mind because Hashem knows what you want in your heart. And he will give you the best, not necessarily the way you think it. So I think this is a mistake that people make. We have to let them know the way. We- we come to trusting Hashem that he's going to give us what we want is through the realization that we trust that he's always about chesed and rakam. Therefore, when he doesn't deliver, a person who's on that level realizes, hey, you know why he's not delivering? Because obviously this was not the best thing for me. Now, it is true that sometimes I didn't have real bitochen, but that's a very hard thing because they say, well, how do you know? How do you gauge?" And they can get a little disillusioned with that. But this is a very simple thing. Hashem, always gives us what's best for us. And the Bitochen always helps. And if the Bitochen is disappointed, it's going to be a schus to get us bigger and better. And we can be quite confident that had we gotten the thing that we really trusted Hashem for, that wouldn't have worked for us. So again, you have to teach them about the Chesed Hashem. The way we get to trust Hashem that He's going to give us a Slurpee or a pizza is by recognizing His Chesed and by then feeling what well, I wanted so much, and if he doesn't give the Slurpee or the, or the pizza, then I know that that wasn't good for me. Maybe the pizza they made today have some type of a, of a salmonella and it's going to get sick from it. Maybe the Slurpee has some kind of a who knows what. You know, so I think this is the way that, that you have to look at that. But don't hesitate to teach them about Bitochan just because of this possibility. Teach them more about how everything Hashem does is chesed.
1: Okay, Beautiful, Rabbi. Thank you. Okay, next live question you're
4: on. Hey, thank you so much. My question is What happens when a child disconnects from Yiddish because there was trauma within the home by a family member, and now another family member is trying to reconnect them? How do we deal with the fact that you know it came from within?
2: Yeah. Well, you see, within is certainly much more painful and much more devastating than without, no question. And the real answer would be to have built a foundation of appreciation that everything Hashem does is always for the good. And that that foundation is there before I face difficulty or trauma and that helps me cope because I figure out that even though this doesn't make an ounce of sense and in my mind I think this is so tragic and it is but you know Hashem if Hashem lets something happen then there's a long term benefit for me now we know that trauma as dangerous and devastating as it is oftentimes with the right help with the right situation and sometimes with the right background so that we can't always do after the fact, but people can grow from it beyond where they ever would have achieved. And people have to realize when they go through trauma that yes, it's a test. Yes, it's a challenge. Yes, it's very painful. We have to let them know that we feel their pain. have to empathize with them, not sympathize, not meabach, but I feel your pain. We validate your pain. But you know, Hashem has a plan for everything. There's a famous, I don't know if it's so famous, but there's a for read. And I like to quote all the time for everyone. It's he has a Haggadah. And he was a Rishon. And he writes like this. And when it says, we started as idol worshippers, descendants of Terach. So he asked a question. He says, we thank Hashem for taking us out of Israel. If he wouldn't have put us in, he wouldn't have to take us out. What's the big deal? So he says, we started as idolaters. And as such, we never could have been privileged. Sure as hadin, and din, to deserve all the gifts of Torah and Shabbos and Yontif and Mitzvahs that Hashem wanted to give us. Therefore, he put us in Mitzrayim, he put us through great challenges, and he had Rachmanis on us. And through the challenges, he was able to entitle us to get way beyond what we ever could have earned, what we ever could have deserved. And people have to know in life, too, that Hashem, in his infinite kindness, and in his infinite Rahamim, sometimes puts us through challenging situations in order to help us grow, in order to help us achieve levels that we couldn't have achieved of connection to him and closest to him, and in order to be able to give us gifts and and, and rewards and, and benefits and love and chesed that we never could have deserved. I think these are some of the things that, but a person really to deal with someone, it needs somebody who's adept at this, who, who knows how to present this, who can really work with them on this. But these are some of the basic ideas which I find um, can be very helpful to people who've gone through trauma.
4: If the child didn't have that foundation to begin with.
2: Well, and... so then we see it's much harder. It's much like you go into a person who just uh, suffered a loss and they're sitting in Shiva and you say, Wow, this is the best thing that ever happened to you. That's not the time to teach that lesson. You know, everything Hashem does is really good. You're right, but we have to, if we have no choice, we have to teach that lesson later, we have to teach it gradually. Gently through a lot of gentle empathetic listening and conversations and gradually we can help the person to see the opportunity. That exists in challenge that can elevate us in greater proximity to Hashem elevate us as stronger human beings and allow Hashem to justify giving us gifts that otherwise we never could have deserved.
4: And if the child is so turned off from Hashem, how do we start that conversation?
2: How old is the child?
4: A young teenager.
2: Well, it could be that you need some outside help for that. Someone who's, you know, more adept and more experienced in doing that. I um, I mean, I, I could, I could, if I have a, an email address or something, I could send you something to, uh, you know, that, that might help you to read or you want to may, maybe just contact the, um, the, or look on the, uh, contact the Priority One office. I'll give you a number and I'll try Thank to get you. you something. All right, 516 295 5700. I'm sorry, was
4: that 516
2: 295 5700.
0: Thank you so much. What you're sharing is, like you mentioned in the beginning, is that the long-term goal. Eventually, you want them to heal, come out in a good place, to look back and say, you know, it was painful, but I grew from it. And I think many people want to heal now, like you mentioned. Healing doesn't
2: happen instantaneously.
0: If, if you have a little a cut in your finger, you could heal that with a band-aid. But, so it's <laughs> important to, to, to know that this it takes a lot of time. That's right. Patience and the right help. That's right, 100%. Okay,
1: Rebecca, let's go to another question over here. Can I mute one second? Hi, you're on.
5: Hi, thanks so much. Okay, what about a child that is around like 11, 12 years old free bar mitzvah but getting close, um, he loves learning and is, whatever seems to have a regular connection but when it comes to davening, he says, I don't know why, I just don't like to daven and I don't force it, but I wanna know, how, he's gonna have to soon get like get past that. So how do I, as a parent, help him to get that appreciation. Or, or not even even if he doesn't yet have that appreciation. I know it's hard even for adults to have the appreciation for davening. How do I get him to actually get past that blockage of davening and say it's something I'm going to do anyway, even though I don't like to do it? And hopefully, eventually, get to where where feel as supposed to be. But I want to even so get to that point of where he's he's going to do it, even if he doesn't feel the connection because well, he doesn't why do like.
2: To. It, why do you think he doesn't like to do it?
5: Um, it just feels like he doesn't feel, he doesn't understand everything. He, it feels like it's long. He's just saying words. It's different when he, when he's learning Mishnayis, when he's learning Chumash, when he's learning even Gemara, he understands and he gets a Gishmak out of it. He's not getting that out of Tefillah. Even I when agree. we try to come from a different angle of like, okay, so don't say the words. Let's think about who we're talking to. Let's talk to Hashem. Let's talk to a king for a minute. He doesn't want to. He blocks it.
2: Well, so I, I think you're right. I mean, the Tfila experience, for the most part, but that age has been a negative experience in schools because they have to sit there for 40 minutes or 45 minutes or more and, and, and either say words that they don't know what they're talking about uh, or fake it or just sit and be bored. And, and you know, it, it, there are a lot of negatives associated with it. And unfortunately, just explaining to them what the words mean has not seemed to, uh, to do the job. But I think there are a few things. First of all, you have to introduce him to Hashem's Ashkocha Protis. If he gets attuned to Ashkocha Protis, then he sees Hashem's active involvement in his life, in his life, in the world, and in his life. That motivates him. Well, hey, Hashem gets involved. It's Kedai to talk to him. And even if I'm not going to be too happy with the words that the have chosen, but at least I'll start with my own words. I know I can talk to him, I know he responds. Part of the problem with Tzvila is also, I talk and he doesn't answer. He doesn't talk back. It's a one-way conversation. One-way conversations are very boring. One-way conversations are very frustrating. So when I introduce, yeah, Hashem answers. Hashkocha protis is the answer. Sometimes terem nikro terem nikro elecho sometimes even answers before. And if he gets into that, so he sees an involvement and a connection with Hashem in his life. I have to tell you a little story. Uh, I feel that this story was fundamental and foundational in the development of my children in their connection to, to Hashem. Uh, we were living in the San Fernando Valley, we made the yeshiva there, it wasn't a very um, easy undertaking, the community wasn't really ready for it, and the financial situation was very, very difficult. And it was a, 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 a summer's night, 10.30 at night, and my oldest daughter, must have been about eight years old, she was going to go to a, a day camp, she's going to a day camp, and the next day they're going on a trip, and she asked me for 75 cents. I must admit I didn't have 75 cents. What should I do? Say to him, Okay, she wasn't too happy with the idea. She sat down with her yeah. younger sister and they're saying a couple of kapitlach tehillim. And she says, like, I don't get it. I need the money now. I'm leaving at 7.30 in the morning. What's going to change? The little kid says, maybe somebody will think they have to give you That's some nonsense. And that was it. She left without the money. She comes back and she says a friend of hers had borrowed 75 cents at the purim carnival so we're talking at least four months prior and they had forgotten about it completely that morning wakes up and says oh i owe the cone girl 75 cents and she brings it to camp and what a lesson it was for my kids tefillah helps hashem listens He's concerned even 75 cents they say to him at ten thirty at night and hashem they, we live in the valley they live in the city 10 miles away, Hashem sends a message to a girl that both of them never thought about this for four or five months and say, she should bring the 75 cents to camp. They need those kinds of experiences. And then they say, hey, it's good night it's to do tefillah. Then they also have to understand what they're doing with tefillah. What are we praising Hashem? You know, many people ask the question, why is Hashem have such an ego problem? What? Hashem doesn't need our praises. Hashem doesn't need anything. We couldn't give him anything. He needs nothing, and we couldn't give him anything. It's all for our benefit. When we praise Hashem, we come to recognize Hashem more, and we strengthen our connection with Him, and we 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 we, we elevate ourselves. And when we ask Him, we do the same thing, and Hashem responds to tefillah. And when the end of Shemoneh Esri, they should be told before they step back, before they say they should ask personal things in their own language and make it come alive, make it real, make it, it's its about life. I mean, tefillah is really the most amazing thing that Hashem has taken, Hazal have developed, using the personal needs that we have as a means of connecting with Hashem. And I think he has to see it in that context. And uh, it's a gradual process. I wouldn't worry. Uh, he does have to know, he doesn't have to say everything. And I think even he should know that even after Bar Mitzvah, there are certain shortcuts. You have to see exactly what that he could make because he may be traumatized by so many words for so long, and gradually, and maybe start with a gishmak in one particular capital, in one particular, in the first parasha of Shema, in the first brach of Shema something, and give him some meaning and some understanding, and t- takes on a whole new. And, and don't pressure him, and don't push, which it sounds like you're not doing. It sounds like you you're, you're
1: you're good on that. Next live question. You're on.
0: Hello?
6: Hi. Hi, could you hear me?
0: Yes, we can
6: hear you. Hi. So based on what someone just asked, um, I don't know if it's a question, but it's something that I sort of had to figure out for myself in my childhood. Whatever I asked my parents, whatever my question was, everything was no. Everything was always sort of, the message that I got is that Hashem is here to punish me. Hashem is here to get me. I'm like, hey, we caught you, hooray. And for me, once I got married and I had kids, I realized that's not how I wanna raise my kids and sort of like the pole, but I had no clue what is the right way for me to show my kids, what is the correct way for me to sort of bring in, you know, having a minute in Hashem and realizing that whatever Hashem does is for the good. Cause a lot of things in my life, I still struggle. Like, God, it really doesn't make sense. Why am I going through this or that struggle? And it came to a point where I realized, let me just try. And if my son asked for something, based on my childhood, it's so much easier to say no and be firm. And I realized, let me change it for, for them. And I just said, yes. And it came to a point where I said, you know, if not for God, I wouldn't have been able to get you, let's say, in the event of, let's say a Slurpee, a pizza, or in my son's situation, let's say he was dying to have a Nintendo. So I said, if not for God, giving us X, Y, Z, or you know, money or a job or something, then I wouldn't be able to get that for you. And it came to a point where my son was looking for some things like, Hashem, help, I should find it. I know you're here for me, but make sure I find what I'm looking for. And for me, that was such a strong um, sort of message from God to show me that what I am doing is right. So far, it's working. And I don't know, that's just what I wanted to say. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for everything, the weekly... Cause it's my sitting down, relaxing on the couch on Sunday night, and just listening and gaining inspiration and also thank you so much.
2: Well, I I know you didn't ask a question. I just like to say you're definitely doing the right thing, and and they have to understand Hashem is good. Hashem is Mole Chesed Berachamim. He created the world only to do Chesed. He has no no gain from this world, no benefit from this world. When we say we're here to serve Hashem, it doesn't mean to serve a breakfast, lunch and dinner. It doesn't mean to take care of his needs. It means to grow ourselves from the process of doing mitzvahs and refining our character and making us better people and, and earning the good and the reward and the kindness that Hashem wants to give us. And that has to be emphasized again and again and again as you seem to be doing and uh, that's, that's great
0: keep it up come. what would you recommend for people who grew up this way they don't have the positive relationship with Hashem and they, they all they have is the negative where would they start what are some? well look there there there,
2: there, there is so much today available uh on uh toward any time or or other I'm not familiar with all the uh you know all all the media connections that they have out there, or the written word, there's so much written about it. They have to begin a whole different focus on recognizing Hashem is all about chesed and rachamim. He only created the world to do chesed. All he wants for us is chesed. He's concerned about the smallest and the largest and everything in between uh, concerns of our life. And to bang that into their own heads, so that they can then give it to their children. There are books on that, there are lectures on that, there's a, about Bitochon and about Midas, about Hashem's Midas, about connection to Hashem. There's so much on that today, I mean, and that's that's really what they what they have to do. And it's it's really a process of education for the parents in order to get to that point. But if they continue with that negative approach, this is a terrible, terrible mistake, terrible mistake. We have a loving God who, who loves Kalal Yisrael, no matter how badly we act. And the whole Shir Hashirim is built on They should learn Shir with Rashi to see the whole Shir is built on how much Hashem loves Kalal Yisrael despite the inappropriateness of our actions. And they have to learn that lesson and internalize it deeply
0: and well. But then, then they have some negative experiences. And are not happy about this, Hashem does this. And well, like...
2: Okay, so if they can't work out the negative experiences, they have to make an appointment with you, you know? I mean, that's uh, that's that's life. They need help, okay? But a lot of people can work out the negative experiences if they just see the positive love of Hashem.
1: Okay, Radicum. beautiful. Let's go to some of the questions. We have a lot of questions over here. Let's try to cover ground, if that's okay. Okay, my 12-year-old misbehaves and doesn't listen. And I need to constantly try to talk to him and re, re-center him. I feel that my love for him has slowly faded away. How do I understand the concept of unconditional love?
2: Well, first of all, Hashem loves us unconditionally. And we have to realize that. And if you study, as I mentioned, Shira Shirim, or so many other sources, we find that despite Yisroel, Yisroel, who, whatever it is Hashem's love, is because inside, there's greatness. And you have to focus on the internal. Um, Claudius Rolus compared the Medrus says to an olive. The olive has um, very, uh, the most precious oil, but it's the hardest to get out. So do the Jew. Inside he has this greatness, but sometimes it's very difficult. It takes a lot of procedure, a lot of squeezing, a lot of putting up with, and, 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 and until it comes out. And the way to do that uh, is, close your eyes. Don't look at what it looks like. Don't listen to what they're saying. Just squeeze it out. Just realize that the goodness is there. And we have to focus and conceptualize that goodness. That's number one. Number two, uh, the love of a parent for a child is natural. Let that natural love flow. It shouldn't be conditional. It's not conditional. What they do and you know, sometimes what they do, they're going through a stage. Sometimes what they do is because, I know people who do bad things because they're good, because they're not comfortable with, um, uh, I don't want to give examples publicly. I think it's a little bit um, you know, tricky, but there are people that are so good and they sometimes they can't bring themselves to do the right thing for the right reason, So they don't do it and they mean well. Find the good in everybody, every child is good, everyone has that good inside and look for it and discover it and then bring it out. But, and realize something else. If you look at them negatively, you will just reinforce the negative behavior. If you start looking at them positively, you'll do something else. When you look at a person, even when they're misbehaving and you show them respect and you show them love, then not only will you love them more, but you'll be changing them. You'll be turning them around. And that's really what it's all about. So I think that's the best etzer, to focus on that and recognize that. And, you know, we, we acted appropriately, and Hashem loves us. We have to deal with our children that way too. And they're children. And what do we want from them? And, you know, something we probably have a share in the responsibility for them not acting properly. And the world that that they're growing up in certainly has a major share. And maybe we didn't send them to the right yeshiva or to have the right influence. So we have to take that into consideration and just focus on the good, focus on the good, focus on the good. And you'll find that that love that you find for the good, Nakuda spreads to the entire child and you'll turn them
1: around. Very, very cool. Beautiful. Okay. You're on live. Next live question.
7: Okay. You hear me? Yes, we do. Okay, so first I wanna say that, thank you for everything. And I didn't answer the poll because my answers weren't there. But I, I remember my, my. What I always remember about Chinah is I remember as a child, we had a neighbor, I almost probably was a teenager already. We had a neighbor who unfortunately, a number of their children were not following the path of their parents. And one of my siblings said something like, boy, what did their parents do? There's very few times I remember my father getting very upset and passionate, and he told us raising children is siyata Shmaya. You need to daven, daven, and daven, and the rest is up to Hashem. You do your best, and from Hashem. And then I learned whatever. And then what I try to do is set by example um, for my kids, and uh, hopefully. I mean, Baruch Hashem, I have very good kids. And for the second question, I think a lot of it is acceptance. Accepting our children for who they are. Um, and and um, and accepting them the way they are and who they are and then guiding them with that. Saying that, I struggle a lot because although I'm in a marriage, I'm a single parent, um, my husband um is my here's my question my husband is not he's floundering a lot now and i never know what to do for with my kids because as much as i might not agree with a lot of things in his life he's still my kids parent he's still their father and he still comes to the shabb's table so He's still there, and he still asks partial questions. But I have an issue, let's say, of Shabbos. I went into the office to put my phone away for Shabbos, and my husband was putting on tefillin, and I was going to Ben Schlicht. And my 15-year-old daughter came to me and said, why start putting on tefillin now? Like, like, why now? And I was really stuck. What, what do I answer when... They know he's doing things that we don't accept in the house. And it's not what we want for our kids. And it's not what he wants for them either. He's just struggling now. So how do I how do I um answer my children and still be able to have them show respect to him?
2: Wow, okay, that's 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 a rough one. Um first of all, uh, if he's struggling, we have to try to get him help. Um, that's very important, because today there's a lot of people like that. That scenario is unfortunately very, very, very familiar. Uh, secondly, you know, Baruch Hashem, he, he, he's putting on children before, before the Shkia, you know, he feels he wants to do that, so he's you know, nobody's forcing him with children, are not, so he's there, he's still there, he's having certain struggles. So he needs help with the struggles. And it's depending on the age of the kids. I think they have to understand that we're all human. We all have our struggles. Some people have certain struggles. Some people have other struggles. Some people go through certain stages. And I think it does not diminish from the respect Uh, he's dealing with it. He has, but I think it's important if he's dealing with it, it's so much easier because he has issues that he's dealing with right now. And everything's gonna be fine but he should be dealing with it and you should try to help him in any way that he can to deal with it. Um, and, and, but the kids have to learn that everybody has their challenges. Some people have some challenges, some people have others, some people bigger, some people smaller. And it does not have to diminish at all from the, um, from the respect that we have for them. But all of this only makes sense if you get him some help for his challenges. And there is help. And we've helped so many people in that situation people adults who are getting a little bit shaky a little bit turned off a little bit apathetic uh, there's help
0: out there for them i just want to just want to add like it's, it could be very hard the acceptance piece as she mentioned for the kids to accept the kids to be able to accept the spouse can be hard and like she mentioned it's hard what should i tell the kids but the Internally, really, it really it starts with acceptance, because like you mentioned, struggle is a struggle, and um, if he's struggling and needs the help, but you know until he gets the help, that's the acceptance piece of where he is. Um, the another question that came in, I'll read it in a second. Uh, here. My son is a regular boy and a good yeshiva, and uh, Barkshem, you know, he's not misbehaving. However, it seems that my son and his friends are just going through the motions without excitement in Yiddishkeit. There's almost no driver excitement. Why is it he does go to a regular good yeshiva? Why is it that he feels this way? And what can I do to help the situation? Oi, that's a that's gave
2: for today. There's a lot of apathy going around, uh, it's a very serious problem. Um, it has to be addressed on many levels. Uh, When they don't feel that they're getting it in the yeshiva, the home definitely has to step in and work to create much more excitement and passion for Yiddishkeit. It requires a lot of conversation and uh, maybe explanation and Why are you doing things? Sometimes the apathy is because I don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what the point is. Many people have no idea. Many people still think that we're serving Hashem because he is needy. Because that's what an does service. What does it mean to serve? That's insane. But they have wrong concepts. And we have to educate them. And a lot of them are getting it in the yeshiva. They're just not paying too much attention. A lot of them may not be getting in the yeshiva. We have to get it at home. Also, we do have to see to it that the uh, both parents and Rebbe, I and mean, this is the thing that we uh, we are pushing all the time, should be better prepared for these issues, uh, training for machanchem, training for parents to, to understand how to really inspire these things in kids. It doesn't happen with a little speech. It doesn't happen with a little book. It's an ongoing process. So I think we have to compensate for that. Um, Seeing the passion in us is going to help. Sometimes connecting such a child with a mentor who's a little bit older, who's passionate about the Yiddishkeit, and he or she can identify with that mentor, sometimes then they catch the passion, they catch the, the, the fervor, they catch the, the flame from them. So that's 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 another possibility. But oftentimes it's about understanding what's in it for me. The more they understand how they're to benefit, the more they see a benevolent, the more they see a world that was created only for chesed, the more they see that all the mitzvahs benefit them and make them a better human being and make them feel better about themselves and make them more happy. Those are the things that generate generate passion. So, but it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but these are some of the things that we can do to, uh, to 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 make it happen. And I do think an outside mentor can be very very helpful if you find one that's excited about the kite, and a couple of years older that they could identify with. I know when I came out to, to Los Angeles, I came with a group of young, young yeshiva bachran. And after a couple of months, I realized they were having much more hashbar than I was. And I was a little bit taken aback by it. And then I realized they're, they're a couple of years older. They play ball with them. They did they say that. That's the kind of thing. And they identified with them and they made a major difference in their lives. So I think that those are some of the things that could be could be helpful. Also, they probably have no concept of having a relationship with Hashem. It's a a foreign concept to so many today. If you develop a relationship with Hashem, you can't not be passionate. It's a passionate relationship. Hashem loves me intensely. I love him. I appreciate everything he gives me. I see his hashkocha protis. I see his involvement in every detail of my life. These are things that inspire passion. And I think that understanding why they're doing things, appreciating the benefits of the Yiddish guy, understanding where it all comes from and having a mentor that, that, that models it, and having parents that models it and that model it, and, and hopefully friends, uh, I think that can be uh, compensated for, if not completely, but certainly to a great, great extent.
1: Another question over here, it's similar, but it's a little bit more explaining the question. Baruch have a family of six, and try very hard to instill them in the Yiddish Kite and Yiddish Simcha on Shabbosim Yom but I feel like we're losing the battle with the outside world they don't really get excited with the things that we have to share They're busy excitement with all the gadgets and all the social medias and the cars and the PJs the private jets and all that type of stuff is more exciting you really think that that exciting our children about Yiddish can overcome the glaring temptation of this world and if so, how do we do that?
2: Okay, that's a very key question Number one, the answer is I do really think that it can overcome. I don't think it's going to happen in an event. It's a process. It's going to take time. It has to develop this excitement, this counter excitement uh, for Yiddishkeit, which can counter what's going on out there. I think without um, putting down their friends or anyone specifically, they do have to see that this world, the pleasures of this world, the excitement of this world, leave people feeling very empty because the suicide rate is up, that the substance abuse rate is up, that the divorce rate is up, and the rates that mental health professionals can charge is up, and the world is not a happy place. And it's because of the fact that everyone is pursuing all of this pleasure. Pleasure is antithetical to happiness. Happiness is feeling good about myself. All the excitement and the pleasure that I need from the outside sends a negative message says, I'm not. I'm trash, I don't feel good about myself. I need all of that just to get through the day. That's part of the educational process. And then they do have to see that they, they have to be excited. There's some kids that they're intellectually they have to be challenged in learning. Other, other that are emotional can be sensitized to, to some of the beauty and the depth and the, 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 the sensitive human insights that we find in Torah. It's a whole process. And again, a mentor can be very helpful for this process. Parents who model this can be very helpful for this process. Speaking and making sure that Rebbeim are also on board with this process, and it becomes a total surrounding of aspects of this process, can make a difference. I believe it's a terrible mistake to surrender to the outside influences and say that Torah and the Yiddishkeit and the, 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 the life of Torah and Mitzvah cannot compete with that. It can compete, it can decimate that, because that doesn't leave anything. Now, the good news is like this, when kids have been exposed to the outside and sooner on in life than in years gone by, they recognize that there's nothing there. There's nothing that's gonna make them happy. It takes a while and we have to be patient, but eventually they will discover, that doesn't bring me happiness, I'm miserable. What am I doing? More and more and more and more. Another one. I need another one. I need to upgrade. I need another one. Nah. What's the goal? and the terraces? is doesn't make me feel good about myself. When I make myself into a better person, when I do chesed, when I connect with Hashem, I feel like a better human being. and That stuff sticks with me. The pleasure is gone, and at best, you have the memory of a pleasure. When I elevate myself to something meaning and spiritual, I feel Feel a different person. I remain at that elevated level forevermore.
0: So you're saying it starts with the with the adults in the room, with the parents, with the Mahantim.
2: That's right. They, they have to see it and they have to know how do we have to know how to point. It. Look at the world today. Is this a happy world we live in? Everything's accessible. There was never a generation in all of human history that had access to so much pleasure and is so sick and miserable. They have to see that. Be careful not to knock anything too close to home, but just, you know, don't say, you see how miserable you are. Nobody wants to hear that. But show, show the next one. Like,
0: look, well, Kids kids don't look. see that.
2: But they can. it can be pointed out to them. They can see it because deep down, they know that this thrill that I had is not satisfying. It's temporary pleasurable, but it's not satisfying. They know something real is satisfying. When I do something that has meaning, that has truth, that has a connection to Hashem, that satisfies. When I do a chesed, that satisfies. When I just, you know, all these pleasures, that doesn't do very much for me.
0: Very nice. Okay. We are starting off on our journey. Our oldest is five, Kanai Nahara. What advice can you give us, the first steps for Canaan, so we can start on the right path? Wow.
2: Okay, um, I, I think that again the basics that we said before, chinuch is a long term process. Go for the long term. Want to look keep the keep the the goal in mind rather than the specific stage that you're at. Um, I think love is extremely important. I think making them feel good about themselves is extremely important. Showing them respect even they say little kids give them a choice you want to wear this today you want to wear that today that makes the kids feel good about himself or herself because I, i'm respected i can make a choice give them as many choices as they can and let them choose and you know within reason you provide the different choices but but within reason then they could become they, they they feel good about themselves validate them when you bring out the strengths point out the strengths um uh, don't ever tell them about the potential that they have, because potential, when you talk to someone about potential, you say, you're really trash, but you have potential. Show them the actual that they have. When they do something good, r- recognize it, reward it, compliment it, pay attention to it, and don't put them down. Uplift them. When the altar from Slabotka, a metri of before he started the Slabotka Yeshiva, Yes, he asked What's the derech to make yeshiva? Call him one posuk. Nefesh wolem, leiv nitkoim. Uplift the downtrodden, uplift the brokenhearted. It's all about uplifting. Don't put down. Please lift up. That makes all the difference in the world. And then there's so many of the other things that we spoke about, I think, are also relevant. And um, uh, we have an interesting book about to be amazing parenting. Raising amazing children. If you wish, you uh, can call the Priority One office or contact priority-one.org. You can download it from the website.
1: Okay, Robert Corn. A few people are texting this question say, so "How do I? How do I?" The basic question I'm getting from a few people are basically the kids when they're getting older into the teenage years, right? They're getting very Magushan with just the general, you know, with what they see out there. You know, there's a lot of even in our society. Is a lot of, like, um, you know, gashmias, whether it's the lavish kadeshim or these fabulous, wonderful trips or the un- unlimited amount of you know buying, whatever it is. And, you know, you don't want to be... Forget it, if you have the money, you don't have the money. Let's leave that aside. But you don't want to, you know... So in one sense, you want to show them normalcy and, you know, what normal is. And in another sense, everybody's doing this, you know? Like, a kid comes home and says, uh, where are we going for Hanukkah? We're we going to Florida or California? Where are we going? That's... That's the sense. How do we our kids this, and it seems like even in the core society this is becoming more and more standard. Yes, it is a
2: problem, and I would say that we, they, they do have to learn that we can't do everything and we don't believe we should be doing everything that everybody else does, but they do have to have alternatives that are going to make them happy. If everyone is going to Florida for Hanukkah and they could take a local a couple of days of exciting things to do then in the midst of all the excitement they forget the jealousy that they had about the other thing so we have to we have to address it we can't just ignore it can't just lecture against it um but we have to also explain that the the unbridled pursuit of just what's more exciting and what's more expensive and what's more this doesn't really bring anyone happiness anyway it's these people are never happy because they always want more and more and more and more and more. So I think letting them know that, yes, look, we have a good time, we also go Hanukkah. If you ignore them, everyone's going on vacation, and you're having, sitting home uh, staring at the four walls or fighting with each other, then you're going to have a problem. So I think it's just a question of finding modest, moderate, reasonable, uh, appropriate substitutes where they can also have a good time. Everybody knows, that there there are simple things that can happen. I just heard about something. I have a cheishik myself, I'm an old man. They have this virtual experience that they rent um, uh, glasses or goggles, I don't know what they do. And and, and my, my grandchildren had it. It was the most amazing thing in the world. They were all over the world. They were on the moon, they were here, they were there. And just like, there are things that people can do that can be very exciting. So don't negate it completely.
1: It's not a religion.
2: Okay. There's more, okay. there's more to life than just this stuff.
1: Okay, it goes into the next question a little bit. My kids are very negative. Whatever I say, they roll their eyes, another speech. I'm not sure where I went wrong or what I could do to turn it around, the environment to some positivity.
2: Well, first of all, stop making speeches. They don't want to hear speeches without listening to speeches. Sometimes we feel it's our responsibility to make the speech, but we're not supposed to say something that won't be heard, that won't be understood, that won't be accepted. So we shouldn't make speeches. Work on the relationship with them. Work on on appreciating them, respecting them, uh, doing things with them without any judgmental. I didn't use the word, and I should have before. Don't be judgmental. Speeches are usually judgmental. I'm judging you in a negative way therefore I'm making a speech. Judge me in a positive way. Look for the positive. Find the good that I do. There won't be no need for speeches. Find the things to compliment. Some educators even have a formula so many compliments to one criticism. I don't like formulas but but yes, compliment them. Make them feel good about themselves and 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 stop the speeches and don't be judgmental and appreciate who they are and cut them some slack. And even if You don't get what everything that you want in the long run. You'll get much more of what you want.
0: Here's here's another question. All my older kids struggle in school, and one of my kids went off the derech and now struggling a lot. My youngest, nine. She's saying she says already she hates school. How do I help her have a positive experience, even though school is so hard, and She's not enjoying learning in school. She has has learning difficulties. How do I teach her that her older sister's rebellion are not ideal or healthy safe responses?
2: Well, you see, uh, it's a big problem. Uh, They're they're really separate issues. Um, I think the first thing is to deal with her issues, Um, you know, Uh, learning disabilities, there are resource rooms, uh, there are special uh, special tutors, special educators that can deal with that. And that's something they have to do. They have to find a way that she should have a meaningful and enjoyable learning experience, despite the learning disabilities. Oftentimes it can be intellectual without textual. A lot of the learning disabilities are textually uh, uh, oriented, but intellectually they can be very smart and give them fulfillment. Let them get excited about something. Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes you're going to have to provide it out of school, but it's worth it because then once they have positive experiences, you have what to, what to deal with. In terms of the older one, I, I think you have to just, as they get older, explain to them, you know, they had some negative experiences, and it turned them off and upset them, and they're going through a stage, and hopefully they'll be able to work their way back. Deep down, they want to come back, they want to be like the rest of the family, and hopefully, they'll work it out. That's, I think, simply put, the,
1: the best approach.
2: Okay, Rabbi, May on. I excuse myself for a moment?
1: Yeah, sure, sure, no problem. Okay, take, take your time.
0: Let's go, let's let's make Hazar Sashir.
1: No,
5: bottom line, what do we need to do? Definition of unconditional love. Like we mentioned before, um,
0: the lady the lady mentioned about acceptance. Um, to accept your kids and even harder to accept your spouse. And the hardest is to accept yourself. And not everybody understands, but to really accept your child when they don't behave. It, there are some triggers that it triggers you. My child doesn't behave. You know, I can't have them do it. And it brings up a lot of how you feel, how the adult, the parent feels. And it's, it's, it's something that takes time and a lot of, uh, not sure if it's experience or to understand, to understand what it really means. Because most people, if I ask them, do you accept yourself? They say, sure, why not? But to really accept yourself, could you tell me some of your flaws? What are your, you know, what are the positive traits about yourself? Most people they don't want to talk about themselves. They'll be mechanech kids, They'll do their best, but you know I am who I am already, and let's not talk about me. So it does. It is very important self acceptance, and I'll even take it to the, to the next level radical self acceptance. Radical means no matter what, even if you have things that are that you know are
5: wrong. The only way you can continue is only if you accept yourself. So how do you understand it? Usher. I think I think it's it's unavoidable. That's what I think it is.
0: So what do we do? What's practical? practical. Somebody's asking what's practical idea of um you know, you're starting the journey like we had before the question, starting off your journey and you want to know what you should do, and Revit Kohn said he doesn't like um, you know, to say numbers. They say nine to one, nine should be positive, one negative. Whatever the story is, the main thing is ask your child where you can see it. How does your child feel? Whether it's around you, how do they feel about themselves? How do they feel about themselves in school? What mood do they come home? It boils down to how they feel. If they feel positive about themselves, you can, then you can talk. But if they feel negative, whatever they're gonna say is gonna go out, go in one ear and out to the other ear. And the same thing is about yourself. If you can, you have to, you have to be able to tell yourself positives about yourself. The only way you're gonna grow is if you can continue um, positive. Somebody asked me what's the first step they should do to connect to their kids what would you say the first step first step probably
1: is to sit down with them and go out with them and spend time with them and have just a uh, uh uh it's called celebration of life just because who they are not what they're doing or anything just to take them out with them to build a to build a you know that that type of relationship you know let start up again I recall right. I just emailed a very good question It's a tough sorry one. about that okay you ready for the tough questions no 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 the tough questions are first coming. I thought they the came. That was just like the warm-up. That was like, you know, like <laughs> like 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 the dips in the collar. Now we're getting to the, the main course. Okay. Somebody just emailed me. When I, I raised my children, I made food, everyone had health, clean home. I did everything the best I could. Maybe I wasn't the most connected or the best, you know, emotional, like we spoke about emotional neglect. But the bottom line is said, now that the kids are married and she didn't work so hard in the relationships, the distance I feel from my married children is very painful. What should I do now that after I already married off my kids and I already went through the process and I I don't I don't know the right word, you know, I didn't do it the, the way every was is discussing, and and you know, I ever I'm sure you're familiar, you know, there are a lot of groups of parents that the, the kids are very disconnected from them after yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like what does a parent do in those okay. situations where you know they're listening, okay. they realize and now they want to reconnect for whatever
2: uh, okay. First of all, the first shalom Aleichem and reconnecting is an apology. I realize I made a mistake. I made mistakes. I realize now, unfortunately, it's late, but it's not too late. It's never too late. And I want to make up for it. And you sit down. The best thing is you arrange to go out to lunch or something, you know, with each one over, 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 you know, a nice meal that you pay for. Uh, Communications usually open up. Uh, the lines of communication open up much more. And to talk about how you know, I made terrible mistakes, I feel so bad. I realize now, I didn't realize, but now I do and I, I just wish I could do it all over again. I can't do it all over again, but maybe we can, you know, and it may you may be rejected in the first meeting and you, you come back again a little while later. It may be rejected again because I'll tell you one thing. There's no question that your married children, despite the fact that they're married and hopefully happily married, they still crave a relationship with their parents. They still crave the parents' um, uh, recognition, the parents, um, you know, uh, uh, being proud of them and and, uh, validating them. They crave it. Everybody craves it. It's a terrible mistake that some people make, that they think, well, if they don't have a good relationship, let's just cut off ties. No, you can't do that. I tell people, my father, Zohrein Olevrocha, passed away, he was almost 95 years old. And I didn't realize how dependent I was on his approval until after he passed away. Everybody needs that. Everybody wants that. And you have that going for you. But when you come in with an apology, I'm not just a uh, oh, you know, maybe I did something that I shouldn't have done. No, I made big mistakes. Maybe even delineate some of the mistakes. And I beg your forgiveness. And I want to reconstruct the relationship. Oftentimes, over a period of time, that can help. And sometimes you have to shower them with help or with gifts or with, with, or with constant phone calls or with taking a special interest. Or if they tell you something about one of their kids follow up the next day with a phone call and to show that you really care and that you're really involved but it can be done i would not give up hope uh it's been done many times before it's within reach but it starts with the words i'm sorry
0: very good here's an interesting one i grew up in a very disciplinarian home where there were no discussions with my parents I always followed what I was told. Now with my kids, I try doing the same. My wife tells me it doesn't work with today's kids. My question is number one: Isn't that the right way? Number two: If not, how do I change, or what's the other way?
2: First of all, Shleima Hamelech, the wisest of all men, said, "Chanuch laNar, Alpi Darkoi," which means not even alpidar Darkom. Not even Alpid Derech of the generation, but each individual. And certainly today, the generation and the vast majority of individuals do not respond well to this um, uh, army sergeant like disciplinarian. It just doesn't work today. It's not in vogue in the society, it's, it's actually unheard of. Uh, we live in a Hefkeveld. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's too far remote from anything that's going on today, and it's not, it's not going to work. So that, that, that has to change. That's not the right way. The right way to be Machanach is al darukoi, is according to the derech of each individual, according to the times, according to the situation. And today that does not work. So as far as I'm concerned, it's, there's no question about it. Now, what can you do to change? You know, uh, the best formula that we know of change is what was advocated by Rabbi Solanta, and that's Liban Musa. Libera musa is made up of three parts. There's the Chochmas to study about why this change is so important and why that is not the right approach. There's Musa Be'a spirals, to internalize the intellectual understanding that you have into your heart. Focus on it. Picture, picture what, picture yourself doing the good things, the, 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 the the non-disciplinary and uh, non-disciplinary approach and, and try to make it part. Yes, I see myself doing it. It can be done and focus on it and try to emotionalize that realization. And third, he says, Mm -hmm. actions. Every time you act in a non-disciplinary way, you've strengthened your commitment to non or your ability to be a, less disciplinary in each and every time. And gradually again, everything as everything else in life is a process, not an event. It's not gonna happen overnight. You can't just snap your fingers and say, I'm no longer disciplinary bent. But if I work on it and I focus on it, I study why it's not the best way today. And I try to internalize it with an emotional message. And I do act after act after act, which goes against that approach. I think things can change.
1: A few more questions. I'm okay, um, whatever you I'm here. I have nothing okay. else to do. Nothing else doing tonight. <laughs> OK, this is, a, this is a girl from a, this is an email from a 15 year old girl. I'm 15 years old. I'm a 15 year old girl in a regular school. I'm having a very hard time in school. I have no interest in the material that they teach and I have no connection with any of the teachers. I feel like I'm just plotting it. I really can't take it anymore. I feel numb. I don't know what my options are. I tell my parents, but they shrug me off. I don't know what they could do about it, but I feel like there's no one out there to help me. Please, do you have any solutions for me? And what could I tell my parents so they should understand my feelings?
2: The truth is there's really, the situation is complex and there's really not enough information. Uh, and I know I don't want to pry to get any more information on this. But I would say that the first thing should be identify in your school or in your, you know, uh, community, a teacher or a, a an adult who's savvy and understands who might be able to, uh, that you can confide in that would understand your situation and that would take an interest in you. There's no doubt that, I don't know what school you're in, but there's no doubt that there's a teacher on staff there that if you will confide in that teacher and tell the teacher this is the way you feel, that teacher will be, there is someone, I don't know who, will be sympathetic to this and try to help you. So that's number one. Don't give up just because on the surface, it seems that nobody is really involved and nobody really cares. And they didn't step step up to to forge a relationship with you. That doesn't mean it can't happen. So that's number one. Such a relationship with a caring and savvy adult is, I think, critical and must, must, must be had. Uh, Then if you can bring such a person uh, into your uh, court, so to speak, then that person maybe can help you to speak to your parents. Because if there's an adult out there that understands this, um, you know, then, then, then I think that, they might be able to to educate and to, or at least uh, explain to your parents the way you're feeling and start the process of reconnecting and the healing. Once your parents understand what you're going through, uh, I'm sure they're good and loving parents. They will come on board to try to do whatever they can. But I think it starts with identifying someone in school that can feel your problem, feel your pain, and try to help you to deal with it. Uh, It's very unfortunate that you don't like school, you're not doing well, you don't enjoy it. Uh, Hopefully this can come too. Um, I I would like to make a statement, which I think is very, very critical. Chinuch, whether it's from parent to child, or from teacher or principal to child or to student or to adult, is dependent upon the relationship. If there's a good relationship, then there's a conduit to communicate and to give values and to influence and to guide and to inspire and to uplift. When it depends on, there has to be a real relationship. And a relationship is not something like you say good morning and you say good afternoon or you say good Shabbos or you say, how was your Shabbos? relationship is a relationship with love, with friendship, with respect, with, with empathy, with connection, with with, with his cautious, that, that, and that is critical. And I think you must forge such a relationship with an adult who is uh, knowledgeable enough to help you in that. And I think that would be the first step, and that would lead you uh, to your parents, and hopefully then you could start um, putting things together and, With such a relationship, especially if it could be someone who's a direct teacher of yours, it'll start developing the process of wanting to learn and getting more into the learning and appreciating and enjoying learning. Believe it or not, learning, which is unenjoyable, is often in a large measure a factor of my lack of relationship with the teacher. And when there is a relationship with that teacher, the learning is on a different level.
0: Rabbi Cohen, I'm just wondering if let's say the parents are on this program listening, what could you tell these parents when their daughter comes to them and tells them this and they shrug it off because probably they don't know, they don't know what in the world, where should they start. What can you tell these parents where should they start? Well deal with it. You know, like I mentioned earlier on,
2: the three most important things that parents could do is listen and listen and listen let them listen with an open mind and an open heart and let them realize that what kids say today is very serious. The kids today are very smart. (laughs) Forgive me. And I hope it doesn't turn off all your listeners, but most kids are smarter than their parents and the parents shouldn't be offended because they got the smarts from you, but they're very smart and they're very savvy And, and, and listen to them and see what they're saying. And, and, and then open your heart and your mind and say, Hey, what can we do to help you? And everybody needs help and everybody can be helped. But it's a question of recognizing that there is an issue and then figuring out. They should go to a professional. Uh, they should, they should give me a call. They should do something. I don't know what they should do. They should they call you, but Reach they should out do something. Help. What?
0: Reach out for help.
2: Reach out to help. That's, for you know, help. today there's nothing, it's very fashionable to get help today. You know, it's not embarrassing anymore. my day 50 years ago, thank no, you, both this today it's a bush a if you don't have
0: two therapists, at least. You know. Yeah. And here's another question. My son is Baksham, a good boy. He did well in school and he's now 24 in Shadukhan. Has become more relaxed with his Yiddish guides and the way he dresses. Why does it seem that as soon as many young adults finish yeshiva, when they're in their low, mid-20s, they become much more lax in their dress and behavior? How can I view this properly as the parents? Well, to view it is easy. What to do about it is hard. To view It is very simple. When
2: people are doing things because everybody else is doing it, and because, or because there's peer pressure, or because there's adult pressure, or whatever the pressure is, when the pressure stops, then uh, a lot of the behavior is shed. It's just a fact of life. And that's why um, pressure is not a very good teacher. And pressure is not a very good uh, communicator of values and of, of commitments and of, 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 a way of life. And, and but that's what's been happening. So under pressure and I am under pressure anyway, now I'm free. I do what I want. And that's, uh, you know, that's the phenomenon. Um, so what can be done about it again? Nagging and arguing, and this is just going to make it worse. Um, I think that at this point, when they're twenty-four years old, they have to sit back and hope that they have a um, a mentor or a rebbe or someone, or maybe to help uh, orchestrate that, who can work with them. You know, um uh, we have in our in our community we have a of alumni of yeshiva who happen to be working have a kiddush every Shabbos and they go there to speak and they're looking to be machazik themselves and um, they have to find someone who can who can you know usually these people had a rebbe if they had a kesha with a rebbe then that rebbe may be activated if they didn't maybe get someone else somebody who could get in there but that's what they need and the rebbe has to be skilled enough to inspire not too well, they're already out oh, they're not in the school, so you won't have to pressure them, just to inspire them. And that's what they need. They have to substitute for that which they did under pressure to become motivated to do it with inspiration, with meaning, with with with
0: with understanding and appreciation. A 24, 24-year-old 24 is already on their own. Would you would you recommend the parents get involved? Or you know, I don't know. Parents sometimes parents are oftentimes not the ones to get involved. But there
2: must be a Rebbe, I mean, look, how many times a parent, the 24 year old, the 24 year old? Uh, for, for anybody, somebody has a problem. So a savvy person will call the right person and orchestrate a connection. Say, listen, do me a favor, you know, he used to be a Talmud, he loved you when he was in your shir, he loved you when he was this. Give him a call, see how he's doing. Maybe you can strike up a relationship with him. Do me a favor, he's a little bit of a lost soul right now. He's getting a little bit, whatever. And, and, and most Rebaim, or many Rebaim, especially if they had a relationship, will be very happy to do that. And, um, and, and, and to encourage that and to see that such a thing happens. You know otherwise there's very little parents can do it except to pray. You know, that's, that's always the way.
1: Where really, really cool. somebody somebody sent a question came in from a group chat somebody. Basically, there's another dimension here that hasn't been addressed. Sometimes children from divorce homes seem to struggle with their own identity because they naturally feel a rift between their own parents who are not living together anymore. Is there any way to alleviate the emotional suffering the child feels? How could the parents assure that the child, that they're whole or okay? So basically after divorce, the parents, I'm assuming, you know, are trying to you know put together the child. What could they do to give them more chizik to alleviate some of that?
2: Okay, so first of all, unfortunately, a single parent really has to be a double parent, you know, they have to, uh, they have to really sometimes step in to fill the role of two parents and I uh, guess <laughs> if there's two parents, then they'll be the fill the role of four parents, but uh, we have to compensate a lot, you know, normally what a job would be divided between the mother and the father, the single parent has to be able to do it um you know, single-handedly. Uh, of course, it's well known that uh, the alternative, the other spouse, the, 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 you know, the former spouse, uh, should also be encouraged uh, to have an active role in the life of the child because the child needs that unless under the most exceptional circumstances where there's a danger or there's an evil or there's something very, very terrible there. But otherwise, to encourage such a relationship, is important so they're getting it at least they're getting not together but at least they're getting they're getting something then there's a um well i forget what it's called um uh the, the, there's there are organizations but there's one my Talk
1: so about the the one from divorce that they helped it yeah, what is it called family. my what my step fam- it's called something my step family my um monty. My, what
2: it's a monty no, they have it here. We have a branch here in the five towns. My extended
1: family, maybe. My
2: extended family, something like that. So th- those very mentors, a couple of years older, who could spend time with them, who could take an interest in them, especially if it's one-on-one, uh, can be very, very helpful, because then that mentor steps in and fills that role that you know the other parent is uh, that that may be missing in in the in the in the context, uh, and then. Um, Again, their their relationship with Hashem has to be nurtured. And they have to hear, and I know it's hard to swallow, that although this is a terrible, terrible thing, it is an opportunity for them to grow, to grow beyond what they ever could have become. And Hashem has a plan for them through this to reach heights and accomplishments and benefits and, 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 and achievements that they never could have accomplished. And the rationale is very simple. Because when things are going well, you just coast. When you're going against opposition, you fight. You work hard. You push. And therefore, they should see this as a challenge. And it can really lead them to new places. And also to appreciate that Hashem is involved in their lives. And Hashem loves them. And even when things like this happen, ultimately, Hashem brings good about with it, through it, because of it. And all these things together, I think, can can help to ease that uh, that pain.
0: Okay, here's another question. My 13 year old is struggling in school. We are trying to get the help he needs, but he's friends with boys that are really pulling him down. Doesn't want to hear from us when we bring up the topic. And I also feel like I can't take away his friends from him. What do we do? Yeah, very,
2: very difficult. You're right that you can't take away the friends. You certainly can't put down the friends just turn him off more um what what i think what you have to do though first of all if he's struggling with school you have to again get him some type of outside help whether it's a mentor whether it's a tutor whether it's both but in terms of friends you have to try to orchestrate some good friendships also again you know we have to be social engineers for our children and we have to identify some kids and invite them to the house or and you got to be smart about it because, oh, I'm not interested in that nerd. I'm not interested in that, you know, like, you have to be, but, the, you know, we find out kids in the class that are that are good kids and that get, get with it and can, a kid can enjoy. And sometimes you'll even find that there's a very, there's a leader in the class who is very, very influential and might really be uh, in a position to help this kid. And you can get that child to... Uh, you know, to spend a little time with him. Sometimes you have to get an outside mentor. Sometimes you have to pay for it. Uh, but we can't give up. We can't give up. Everybody can be helped. Everybody can be reached to a great extent. And, um, and, and, and you know, that's, it can be done. Sometimes you have to partner with the school. Sometimes the schools are not aware of what's going on. Have to be very careful that Making them aware is not going to have a negative effect, but sometimes bringing the Rebbe on board—if there's a good Rebbe, a caring Rebbe, a sensitive, a smart Rebbe—then that might also be be of help to get things to happen.
1: Hey, Rabbi Fon, there's one more uh, question. It's going to keep us. It's going to be the punchline of the night, and then we're going to go to closing. Leave us. Leave us with uh, the at the end after we'll wrap up. This is the last question somebody sent in. We hear a great deal about unconditional love and the obligation and responsibility parents have regarding children. With all this, I ask, my question is, why do I hear very little about the children's obligation towards his and his parents? If from child is agreed as the fifth commandment and we live in an age where there seems to be an emphasis on the entitlement and not the responsibility. I feel the question is relevant as the parents who must be to their children to observe Torah and Mitzvahs to the best of their capabilities and many thanks for giving guidance that is touch with some, with some the world of our children without compromising on aloha and our beautiful misairah.
2: Okay. Um, I know it's not a very popular thought, but um, the best way to get respect from your children is to show them respect. Both as a model and as a, a, a feeling of wanting to reciprocate. So that's something that we can't you know, can take lightly. Uh, unfortunately, uh, if, if we're asking for respect from our children, we're probably looking at it from that perspective rather than the perspective of showing them respect. But I think the best advice to get the respect is actually to show them that respect. Uh, we live in a world that does not respect anything. So it's very hard to expect that of them. And the only way is to set you know a very positive example. Um, Some people forget that sometimes the way we we respect our parents influences the way our children respect their parents. And many children have seen images of, you know, annoyance at the elderly parents who are not really, uh, whatever, they're a pain, they're a burden. So that respect is also very important if you want respect from, from, from your children. Um, I think unconditional love uh, is extremely important, but unconditional love does not mean that they can do whatever they want. Unconditional love means that no matter what you do, I still love you as a person. I am not in love with what you're doing. I am very, very against what you're doing. And the reason I'm against it is because you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting me. You're not hurting Hashem, although you may be, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm worried about you hurting yourself. And uh, so the fact that you're doing something bad does not take away from my love. It's because I love you that I want to change your behavior. So you should have it better in this world. So you should be more happy. And I I think that, that, that this stuff works. Respect and love for children will bring out respect and love from them.
1: You Rabbi Cohen. So we're going to leave the, the closing at the end. First, we're going to wrap up a little bit. But the Grisherskayach is coming on tonight, Rabbi Cohen, and the tremendous chizik. The hundreds of people that were here tonight, the thousands of people that will hear this, and we always need chizik in this union. I think it's a it's 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 one of those topics that we need to hear again and again. It's not a it's not a one-time fix. But Grisherskayach again. If anybody wants to join to, to get to Sunday the flyers, please WhatsApp me at eight four eight five two five zero zero six six or go to benachmanberfel Again, every Sunday night at 9:30 p.m. on the Zoom ID, we have different topics. Next week, November 13th, it's going to be a surprise because nothing is confirmed yet. Working on a few things, but Hashem, it's going be an amazing share. They all are. Baruch Hashem. And please join us. Um, again, everything's recorded. recorded. Hashem will be on MenachemBarnfield.com. If anybody has any questions, email CoachMenachem at Gmail.com. Rabbi Cohen, do you want to give out any uh, contact information? Somebody, any anybody has questions, anybody wants to get a hold of you, Uh or I, I don't want to get bombarded. Whatever you want, whatever you want. Whatever you want
2: uh, uh let, let's let's just give out the the phone number for priority 1 516 295 5700 and uh, either get someone to answer the phone or leave a message we'll try to to get back to you and there is a website priority-number1.org One dot org, and there's a lot of information there a lot of books to be downloaded a lot of uh, audio material, videos, all kinds of things that could be very helpful in the chinoch process. And I think the Iker is that we have to be misfollow. Um You know, there's a, the, a, Meiri says that he brings a daya that says that one of the, you know, it's a machlik is what exactly were the 10 tests of Abraham Avinu. So he brings a daya that one one day that holds that one of the 10 tests was having, taking hogar to have you, to have a child and to be entering into Tsar Gidul Bonim when he thought that he wasn't going to have it anymore. That vies for one of the Nisyanas of the 10 of Abraham. Tsar Gidil Bonim is very difficult. It's my life, it's my child. I love this child. This is my flesh and blood. So we have to be Baruch Hu, that Shem should help us. And there's tremendous Syata deshmaya when we're misfaled, when we cry. When we cry for our children, great things can happen, but there's Ishtadlis too. And Ishtadlis is a lot of the things that we spoke about today, to try to incorporate them into our constant ongoing relationship with our children. And Kiddush Baruch should help that we should be zeichah, to see children that are strong in Torah, in Yerashamayim, in Midas, and, and to bring a source of of Nachas and, and pride to all of Claudi I
1: mean, thank you everybody for coming tonight and joining a great for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank
2: you for the privilege. I appreciate it very much. Uh, good night, Paul. everybody. See you next good
1: week. Good good time.
2: Good.
0: Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes and it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you
5: in advance.